Please help me welcome J. Lauren Norris. On the football field, my youngest son was then significantly smaller than he is now. At the time, he was probably 5'5", 5'6", and about 150 pounds. My son-in-law, on the other hand, was a D1 all-star, played college level. He was a bodybuilder. He was an MMA specialist. But still, all of these things apply, but he's older now. But at the time, watching my son-in-law coach my son sometimes left me a little frustrated because, well, you know, it's like sibling rivalry. You see them pushing and shoving, and, and it's really all about attitude and position and who's in charge. Even though there was like 20 years difference between them, they were convinced that they ought to both be having the same role. One actually played as a linebacker at a high level. The other one was still learning the role of linebacker. What does it mean to play football and and chase down the guy that's got the ball? And one was a good coach and the other one was not a good student. It was an interesting mix watching them react to each other. The real irony, though, was watching the young would-be linebacker who had been on the defensive line in previous games of play, trying to coach the other players who were trying to play the role of the linemen and often getting reprimanded by the coach to say, stay at the linebacker position. Stop trying to tell everybody else how to do their job. Focus on learning how to do your job. And yes, that's exactly what I want to talk about in this episode of Leading Leaders. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast, and I can tell you how frustrating it is as a leader to try to train young leaders who, well, I can tell you how frustrating it was to be a young leader who was trying to be trained by other leaders and simultaneously trying to train other leaders. I experienced it on the football field. I experienced it in the fire department. I experienced it in the military. I've experienced it in jobs since then, from retail to sales to you name it. Everywhere that there is a leader, there is a leader who, like I was, like I often still am, is a little bit insecure. And when insecurity is in your personality type or your attitude or your mindset or your worldview, then insecurity kind of shows up in everything. As a leader, it usually manifests itself in detrimental ways. One of those primary ways that insecurity shows up as a leader is when you feel like you have to prove yourself to everyone. Maybe it's because you don't have the degree that everyone would expect you to have, or you don't have the educational pedigree that everyone would expect you to have. You don't have the family ties that everyone would expect you to have. And so they see you in your position with your assignment, with your job, and they think, well, what qualifies you to be here doing that? And the answer is, Well, because I've done it well elsewhere, or I've been able to succeed at it, or somebody likes me, or I just got the opportunity and I did well with the opportunity. Here's the real truth, though. Sometimes you're not good at it yet. Sometimes you still got some growing up to do in the assignment that you have. You've got to master the project that's put in front of you. You've got to do well at what you're supposed to be doing long before you move on to the next thing. I've mentioned many times when I was hired as a manager in training for a pizza joint and I started off the first two weeks bussing tables. 
setting up the salad bar, cleaning up noodles in the game room. I didn't feel like a manager at all. In fact, I only lasted two weeks because I felt like it was a scam that they hired me as a manager in training and never let me manage anything. I mean, I was a junior NCO in the Air Force. I got this. Just, you know, let me go. I was also very immature, not only in my leadership, but in myself at 25 years old, and I had a lot to learn. There are still leaders today, some in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. I know some in their 70s who are immature leaders, and it shows up in their micromanagement. It shows up in their inability to let go of the reins and let somebody else do the job that they're assigned to do. Now, sometimes... Sometimes being the mature leader means that you take that assignment and you hand it off for better or for worse. If the person you've handed it off to does a phenomenal job with it, you don't try to take the credit. If they do a horrible job with it, you don't have to take the blame. But you should. As a mature leader, once you've handed that off to somebody else, you should allow them time and space to fail or succeed all on their own. And you should be willing to give them credit and to take the blame. Now, I know that sounds silly that you would take the blame for somebody else's failure, but let me be honest with you and tell you, there's a whole lot of time and space for growing up as a leader. There's plenty if you take the time to do it. If you work on mastering the skills of the assignment that you've been given, whether that's a set of tasks or a level of education or competency at the performance. I mean, sometimes leadership is seen on the assembly line where you literally do the same job a thousand times a day for years at a time. But when your error rate is high and your production rate is low, you're not a very good leader. It's usually the leaders who are very efficient at their job, who are promoted from that on-site, unseen, hidden in the background, perfunctory role into a leadership role. If there are skills that you have or a mindset that you have or a way of doing things that others could duplicate and mimic and they can look at it and go, wow, I could, I could learn to be just as good at that. <clears throat> if I understood what you understand, it would apply to my job just as well. Well, that's when management starts looking around going, you know, if we could get all of our assembly people to have that kind of mindset, that kind of efficiency, that kind of productivity, and still keep their error rate low, our whole team would be better. Well, why would you not do that? Well, that's exactly what management is looking for. Here's what they're not looking for. They're not looking for someone who is okay, average, or even subpar in the assignment they currently have, but they have the attitude that, hey, I'm a leader. I can tell all these other people how to do their job. No, that's not what anybody upstream, so to speak, is looking for. That's not what they want from a young, immature, insecure leader. No, what they're really looking for is the ability for you to perform your job at a high level, your assignment. Know your role, R-O-L-E. Do what you've been asked to do to the level of excellence that everybody in the team would look at it and go, man, if we could all perform like that, the whole world would be different. Because that's really what everybody wants. It's what your consumer wants. It's certainly what your boss wants. And if you own the company, it's what you want. It is the ultimate end game for you to have that level of perfection, delivery, expectation that everybody can look at and go, 
yeah, do it like that. When you have that level of performance at your task, as menial as it might be, cleaning up the salad bar, cleaning up and bussing tables, picking up the noodles in the game room, when you do that with the level of consideration and competency that says, I have mastered this task, suddenly you've got the attention of everybody in leadership above you. And you've probably earned the respect of everybody in leadership around you, your peers and those that you influence. But if you're doing a haphazard job at your job and you're not nailing it every single time, don't be trying to tell somebody else how to do their job better, even if it used to be your job. Because there's a really good chance that the leader above you has already identified you as a potential leader. And they said, well, you know, if I could just get them to master these two or three new tasks. And I'll tell you, as a leader myself, I've done it. I've taken people that I've seen master one assignment. And I've moved them from that assignment to something that I know is going to be hard for them. It's going to be challenging. In fact, I know in some cases that their skill set, their talents, their gifts do not match this job. They will probably fail at this job. But I've got just enough margin of error that if they fail, I can cover the gaps or somebody else can. And the reason that a leader might do that, if you're a young leader and you're in that spot right now, take notes right here. This is going to be very important for your career. As a leader, I might put someone in a position to test their attitude toward failure. What I want to know is when they realize that they're not competent. Let me make that a secondary question. When will they realize they're not competent at this task and ask for another one? When will they dig in and go, you know what, I'm going to master this, even though I suck at it right now. I hate this job. I don't want to be doing this job. I, this is not the job I was signed on for. Great. Let's learn about your humility. Let's learn about your willingness to be a part of the team and consign yourself to the overall productivity of what you don't want to do. See, especially in the younger generation today, that sense of entitlement is enormous. And that sense of entitlement often says, I want the job that has the recognition. I want the job that has the title. I want the job that has the benefits and the paycheck. And I want to travel around the world and be important. And every job I've had up to this point has been menial and task-oriented. And and I'm above that now at 22 years old. I, I want to move on. I have friends who have... OF pages, and they're making millions of dollars, and I'm not going to work in retail making $10 or $15 an hour and consider myself important. No, I need to be the store manager. I need to be in charge of everything. I need to make all the decisions about what we buy and what we sell. I need to do all that. Well, that attitude is going to be a problem with your leadership future. The sooner you get it mastered, the better off you'll be. Sometimes you got to slow your roll. Just pace yourself a little bit. Master one step at a time. Become very good at what you do, whatever that is. Stocking the shelves, placing the orders, merchandising. Maybe you are great in online media. Maybe you're really good at selling online. Awesome. Let's try something else then. Let's see what other parts of the business you could be successful at and be a contributing factor to the overall success of the organization. I'm going to tell you as a young leader, because I suffered this myself, it's really easy to feel like you've been set aside 
when you're asked to do those assignments that are more about your attitude and your maturity than they are about the task level that you're doing it. You might be asked to do something that seems mundane, retarded, an entirely wasteful use of your resources, gifts, and talents. It's usually at that moment that the leaders above you have spotted something in you that they're trying to perfect. They're looking for something else in you besides getting the task done. When that's the case in your life, dig in. When you find yourself in that place where the job that you've been assigned to seems like it's way beneath you, that's probably not what they're working on. They're not looking for your skill set. They're looking for your patience. They're looking for your attitude. They're looking for your ability to submit to to the overall success of the team, to be a collaborator, to be someone that the rest of the team can look to and go, wow, you plowed through that even though it was hard. You stayed in it even though it was not beneficial for you. You really brought the game to the end by doing the role that needed to be done, not the one you wanted to be done. It's easy as a young leader with all the ambition and all the courage and all the fearlessness and none of the maturity and none of the security to say, I'm going to do every role. I'm I'm going to do all the things around me. Now, let me tell you, there's also, especially in the area of, say, mid-level management, you've got into the position, you got hired on, you're moving up. And don't fool yourself. This happens just as easily as an entrepreneur or a solopreneur as it does working in big corporate America or in a job with 20 or 30 people. It's real easy to, to get your feet over the hump, so to speak. You're, you're now in the gear. You're making money. You're moving along. You're moving up. You're, you're ready to move on to the next thing. But in your mind, you think at that next level of management, that next level of leadership, those newbies that are coming up behind you, those ones that are, honestly, they're trying to take your job. They want your paycheck. They want your position. They want your opportunity. They want your job. They want your role. And it's really easy on the one hand, kind of a double-edged sword, to think, well, I don't want them to be competent at my job yet because I'm not ready to move on to the next one. It's also really easy to think, I can't look like a superstar if all of them keep failing at their job. And so the double-edged sword of that mid-level management leadership role often looks like I will take care of the tasks that they were incapable of taking care of. They were incapable, incompetent, failures at that assignment. I I asked them to do X, Y, and Z, and they didn't even show up to do the job. And so I've got to step in the gap and do the job. And sometimes you don't even let them get to the end of failure so that they see the consequences. You just dive right in and start doing it all on your own alongside them. But you're doing it a different way maybe than they were trained to do it or a different way than they know how to do it. And So now you have a conflict in the quality, you have a conflict in the outcome, and nobody knows who to give credit to. Was it you or was it them? Nobody knows who to give the blame to at the end. Is it you or is it them? And as a mid-level manager, if you're not cautious, you will do the tasks that others have not yet successfully done. You'll do it for them so that in the end you look like a hero, and in truth, you're not being a hero. In fact, you're causing more problem than you're solving. Because what you haven't done is allow allow the natural attrition of people who are not willing to do the hard work, are not willing to submit for the team, not willing to sacrifice for the team. They're not really concerned about the overall outcome. They just want their paycheck. And oftentimes, those kind of people that come with that kind of attitude 
All they want is a paycheck. They don't want the job. They don't want the promotion. They don't want the next skill level. They don't, they don't want to grow. They don't care. They're not going anywhere, and they know it. But if you'll give them a paycheck long enough, they can go file for unemployment and sit on the couch. And you're doing their job for them just stretches out the amount of time that they get a paycheck for doing nothing. Oh, yeah, they'll let you do the work all day long every day. And they won't grow. And they won't do anything else. And they won't move forward. And they won't contribute to the bottom line success of the organization. Because they don't care. In the end, that's both your fault and to your detriment. The team is never going to grow because you're never going to put somebody in that place who's willing to say, I can step up. I can do more skill than I've been doing. I, I can apply myself even better. But you've got to give them room to succeed or fail. That's on you. And I'll tell you, the people at the very top, they're making their decisions about your next level based on your success in your role, your assignment. How well have you applied yourself to perfecting, mastering excellence in your role? And as a leader influencer at whatever level, the junior level just starting out and it's just your peers who are paying attention to you or at the next level, that mid-level management where you've got people to answer to and people who answer to you or at the highest level where you are in charge of the whole team and you only answer to the board of the highest level executives. At every one of those steps, the people above you are asking the question, can they lead those who will sometimes fail and succeed? Can they lead those who need to be led out the door so they can be replaced by somebody who will contribute more to the team? Can they let those who are failing fail until they learn to succeed? Can they stay in their own lane while they do it? And if the answer to all of those questions is yes, then promotions and opportunity are in your future. In fact, there's a really good chance that you're going to be in charge of the whole thing or one day realize entrepreneurship is where I really belong. I, I can master every aspect of this operation on my own, and I can train everybody else to do it as well. So I want to be the owner of the company. I want to be in charge of the company. I want to be dealing with the profits and losses all on my own. When you reach that level of leadership, you're in a whole different world because literally everything rises and falls on you. Either you hire and train the right people or you don't. And if you don't, you pay the price. And if you do, you reap the rewards. And it's all on you. And even then, yes, even then, the ability to let people fail and succeed is a test. To bring them on board, set up clear expectations, tell them what their skills are required to have that job, to stay in that job, set measurement tools for them to know, am I progressing or am I not? It's all on you. But while you're a young leader, it's great to observe, but it's none of your business what everybody else is doing. Master your role. Be so good at what you do that everybody wants to mimic the way you've succeeded. When you've done that, you'll be ready for the next role. So right now, as a young leader, slow your role. Back up a little bit. Don't be trying to run everybody else's business. And at the same time, focus on your role. Do your assignments. Master them. Be the best in the world at what you're asked to do. That will make you an irreplaceable leader in the near future. Trying to do everybody else's job will never be successful. Trying to do your job better than anybody else is the key to success. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast. 
for Tell It Like It Is TV. Have a blessed day. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom. And so I joined Toastmasters. And I went from Toastmasters as a newbie. In fact, Jim and I joined at the same time, if I remember right. Uh, by the way, Jim Gardner is one of my of, mentors. You were ahead of me. You had already gone to national. Okay. So <clears throat> when I joined Toastmasters in the local club, uh, one of the challenges that I ran into was even the people who were what they would call a distinguished Toastmaster uh, still had some communication skills that I'm like, I thought you would have worked those out by now. And then within the first 10 weeks that I was there, I finished the first 10 level of speeches, which most people took like a year to do. And then I was invited to compete. And so within the first year of being a Toastmaster, I competed in the international speech competition against 35,000 other people, and I made it to the semifinals. That was about the same time that I joined the John Maxwell team. I had already been coaching with the Dale Carnegie program for almost five years at that point. And I realized there were still a whole lot of people who loved communicating but really they were more along the lines of, I keep talking and nobody's listening, or I keep talking and nobody's paying any attention. And part of the challenge that we run into as communicators is we have to be willing to admit, uh, if nobody's listening, maybe it's not their hearing problem, but your talking problem. It's not what they heard, but what you said. And so we've got to be able to take responsibility on both sides of that. But as I began to work with a lot of people, they would say to me, I want you to help me write the speech that sells. And I was like, uh, I don't do that. Why? Anybody ever heard uh, Les Brown? Yes. Yeah. So if you've ever heard Les Brown, what's the name of his speech? I can't remember. You gotta be hungry. But if you've ever heard, you gotta be hungry. You've already heard, you gotta be hungry. And so a lot of people look at somebody like a Les Brown and they say, well, he makes 50 grand every time he steps on stage. I wanna make 50 grand when I step on stage. Teach me how to write, you gotta be hungry. I'm like, well, you can't have, you gotta be hungry. It's already written. It's already been delivered a billion times. And it's powerful, and it's thought-provoking, and it's life-transforming, but it's his speech. How many of you have heard somebody deliver a speech or a story or a portion of a speech and realize, I've heard that before, right? And so the challenge we run into on both sides of that is, it's already been said before, and now you have a credibility problem. The other thing that I realized was that people had fascinating stories, but no point. How many of you have heard somebody say, I'm going to tell you a story. It really doesn't have anything to do with what I'm going to talk about today, but I think it's a great story. And they tell you the story, and when they're done, they're like, I'm not sure why I told you that story, but I thought it was entertaining. And you're like, no, it was a waste of my time. <laughs> Raise your hand yeah. if you know that's true, oh, right? Yeah. And so you've heard that, and you're like, why do people do that? <laughs> and so that juxtaposition of frustration, I'm thinking on one side, there are all these people who have been trained to be communicators, and they still fail at communication. And then there are these people who are great orators, but they don't have anything to say. So where's the balance? How do, how do you strike that balance? What do you do? And so I was in front of a group that Jim and I used to belong to, and somebody told their story, and I said, why don't you try it like this? And so I told it like that. And they went, how did you do that? Anybody ever heard of Dr. Caroline Leaf, neuroscientist? She says, if, if you do something and people go, how did you do that? And you think to yourself, I thought everybody could do that. That's your gift. Mm -hmm. I went, oh, interesting. And so I started doing it on a regular basis. I'd hear somebody tell their story, and I would tell them back. And I had a guy, I still have the business cards in my pocket, because I had a guy show up at one of my events, sat through the whole thing. At the end of the day, he said, when I came here, I came because my friend drugged me. 
I don't go to seminars like this. I've been to way too many of them and I hate them. I'm like, well, I'm glad you stayed all day. He said, you know, the first hour, <laughs> I was ready to walk out. And then you told my story. And I realized this guy knows something I don't know. He said, but I think you've got the wrong name for your class. At the time, it was called Transforming Stories, Transforming Lives. I said, okay, what should it be? He said, I think you should call it, I can tell your story better than you can, and I can prove it. <laughs> and I had a pastor tell me that's the most arrogant thing I've ever heard anybody say. And I said, well, if you play golf with Tiger Woods and he says, I'm going to beat you by 10 strokes, you argue with him? If you're playing basketball with Michael Jordan and he says, I'm going to dunk this ball, do you go, yeah, right? No. If Shaq says, I will keep you out of the key, do you say, yeah, not today? No because you realize they're the best at what they do. So in honest humility, we're about to test that theory and we'll see if I'm right, if the gift holds its weight. And we're gonna do that by inviting all of you to come up here one at a time. But here is a master teacher on storytelling and I learned so much. Um, I'm really going to have to sit down and go back through everything and I think I might have to have some more coffees with Lauren but uh, it was totally worth my time and I really highly recommend it if you're looking to grow your ministry, grow your business, uh, grow your career. Uh, Lauren will serve you well. Thank you.